on a series uh, we started a couple of weeks ago uh, where we're really just kind of looking at the story of Abundant Life Church, going back and looking at the past, looking into the future. And, and we started this uh, journey a couple of weeks ago where we took some time to kind of explore our story to understand what has God, how has God rooted us? Like this is his story. How many of you know this is his story? Not any man's story, not any group of people's story. It's God's story and he's invited us to be a part of it. And, uh, and so we just were exploring that and then kind of diving in and trying to just kind of look at some fresh language uh, around which we could kind of understand understand our future. What is it that God has always called us to and is calling us to continue to walk out with him? And we, uh, we introduced this phrase or this little kind of statement, mission, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and some of you have memorized it. I know you have. Anyone want to? No, I'm just kidding. But I'm going to put it on the screen. Why don't we read it together? It's like being back in kindergarten or first grade together. You know, let's read this together, okay? But, but I think it's good for us just to kind of read and try to understand what is it that God's calling us to. And so here we go. We are... Oh, nice job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good job. You can read together. It was a little bit of a rough start, but you all caught up with each other. That was good. That was good. But uh, that's who we are, right? We are a community of regular people. As Pastor George used to say, no perfect people allowed, right? And uh, none of us are perfect. Uh, none of us have it all figured out. And if you do, uh, you just made this an imperfect setting, right? Because none of us have it all figured out, right? And uh, we're on this journey through life together. But what, what do we focus on? What is it that we're seeking to accomplish? And, and we recognize that, that this idea that we, and we've been talking about this actually now for a few months, we are, and we live in a world where there are two competing stories. There's the story of the kingdom of God and there's the story of the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of self. It gets labeled a number of different ways in the Bible. And so we recognize that there's these two competing stories that are going on, and, and we recognize, and we use this in the fall, we looked at Babylon, and Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were in this world that was trying to form them a certain way, uh, but they chose to live the story of God, even though they were living in Babylon, which was promoting and pushing the story or the kingdom of this world. And, and we recognize, man, while we live in this space and place, what we're choosing to do as those who follow Jesus, we're choosing to live out the story of God. And it's an extraordinary story, as we discovered, with number, you know, different movements in it, and God had original design and intent, and then we turned our back on him. Humanity fell and rebelled against God, but God comes and restores us, and, and he redeems us through Jesus. And we're not just redeemed to get a golden ticket to go to heaven. We actually serve a purpose here on earth. We live out the kingdom of God. We're not waiting for eternity to start. We're living it out right now, and it all consummates with a new heavens and a new earth that we read about in Revelations 21 and 22. And so this is the story that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, but, but you and I, as the family that we call Abundant Life Church, this is the story out of which we're living. And the way we do that is the way Jesus showed us. I don't think there's a better way. I haven't found a better way. And I think Jesus, who is the perfect Son of God, didn't just come to die for our sins. The Bible tells us that he fulfilled all righteousness. In other words, he shows us the way in which we ought to live, not as a set of rules, right? Not as a set of kind of guidelines and you've got to obey all of these things. No, no, no. Because of a transformed, changed heart, the very appetites 
The very things that I yearn for and strive after, they begin to change because my heart now is after God. And so uh, we've been kind of unpacking that over the last uh, few weeks. And, uh, and uh, I was reading this week just a beautiful quote from a, a theologian by the name of J.I. Packer. And I thought it summarized so well what we're about. It says this, communion between God and man is the end to which both creation and redemption are the means. It is the definition of Christianity. That's why we're here. We're here. We get to commune with God. We get to walk with him and walk out his story and his purpose and his plan here on planet earth. And so last week, we actually talked uh, quite a bit about this. We talked about this uh, pursuit, our first pursuit as a church family. We're just trying to define some things that we're focused on, some things that we're moving forward in. And we talked about this idea last week that we are pursuing the presence of God individually and together. And, and this idea that God wants to be personally present with his people. Remember we used, I had that old radio that I borrowed from a friend, you know, and this idea that, you know, there's all these radio waves around, but, but we tune in, don't we? We plug in and we tune in to God's personal presence with us because God, not, God is not distant. God is not kind of aloof. God actually wants to be intimately involved. And the summary of last week is really this idea that what God has been doing the whole way through Scripture, and you guys were so good to stick with me. We read a lot of Scripture last week, didn't we? But that's okay. We're at church. We can do that, right? Um, and so, you know, when you go to a coffee shop, you expect to get coffee. When you go to church, you should expect to get the Bible. How many say, that's a good thing? All right, good. Well, well, remember, we walked through the, the whole Old Testament in Joel 2, 28, and we went to Jesus, and, and then we went to Acts and Peter and, and, and Ephesians, and what we recognized and realized that throughout the whole Bible, God's plan has been to have a temple, not a physical temple, but a people, a covenant community, a covenant family that he would be present with. And this is what God is doing with us, right? He is forming us and fashioning us. He is shaping us. He is molding us. Uh, he's knocking bits off of us, right? Anybody ever been through a season like that when God's like just kind of taking a little few rough edges off and smoothing out a few things? And oftentimes he uses one another to help us do that. So we are the body of Christ. We are the temple that God has always been building, a covenant people that he would fill with his presence. And, and so as we embark on today's kind of talk and kind of explore, well, what's the next pursuit? I'm going to get to that at the end of my message. So I'm going to leave you in suspense for the next few minutes. Is that okay? On the edge of your seat. Some of you are leaning in. I can feel it. But, but today I want to kind of explore uh, another kind of aspect that I think we're all about. How many of you know, to quote Lightning McQueen, that life is a highway? <laughs> life is a highway, right? You know? In case you haven't noticed, by the way, um, Mighty Ducks, Pixar movies, that's my jam, all right, you know? But uh, life is a highway. And uh, my wife and I, we, we uh, moved back here uh, almost six years ago, it'll be six years ago this summer, uh, from New York. We lived in New York for nine years, we pastored a church there, it was wonderful, just awesome, so many wonderful people that we still have relationship with. But on June 27th, 2016, we packed up our cars, and we drove across the country. And uh, that was an interesting drive for nine days. Uh, we had the guy's car uh, that was sports radio. Uh, it may have smelled a little funny. It was me and my son in the car, okay, just keeping it real, folks. And then you had the girl's car, so it was my wife and her, our two daughters. And uh, they listened to Hamilton the whole way across the country, pretty much, you know. 
We did have to stop at every Starbucks to collect a Starbucks mug the entire way across the country. So we had to save half the trunk space in my car for Starbucks mugs. But, but the journey across the country, man, it had highs and lows and, and good times and bad times. There were some amazingly beautiful things. We live in an amazing country, don't we? And if you've never had, the, never had the opportunity to travel, I encourage you to do that. Go see some of the spots in our country. Absolutely beautiful. But there were also times on the journey that were, man, we went through probably the worst rainstorm that we've ever been you know, and uh, my, my wife was, she was in the, this RAV4 and we couldn't see in front of us and she's, you know, praying out loud, you know, screaming at the rain, Lord, save us, you know. Uh, <clears throat> we're, you know, and uh, anyway, the girls were looking at her kind of funny, you know. But, but the journey through life, isn't it true that just like our journey across, across the country, journey through life has highs and lows, doesn't it? There's good times, there's bad times, there's times that make sense, there's times that don't make any sense at all. But what made the journey the journey is that we had a destination in mind. And I want to ask you the question, not about some journey that you might take on a road trip this summer. I want to ask you this morning, do you know what the destination of this journey through your life is? Where is it that God is taking you? Where is it that God is taking us? What is it that God has in mind? What is the goal of the Christian life? You're here this morning, and maybe you're a seeker and kind of exploring faith for the first time and got questions. Maybe you're a Christian. You've been a Christian a long, long time. I think that having this answer in front of us is super important. It's like when Jenny and I left Albany, New York on June 27th, we had to have a destination in mind. Otherwise, we might have ended up in San Diego. But we ended up here. Praise Jesus. Well, the same is true for the Christian life. But we don't often stop to consider what is the end goal of the Christian life. I mean, is this, this life of faith that you and I live, uh, what is it? Is it a set of beliefs that we mostly agree with, <laughs> that I try to practice as best that I can? What's the Christian life about? Where's the destination? Where's it taking me? What's the goal of this thing? Is it a ritual that we observe? You know, I go to church, I read my Bible, I tithe, right? Is it a collection of virtues or behaviors, right? Now, Christianity affects all of those things, but I want to tell you this morning, that's not the goal of Christian faith or the Christian life. In fact, it says this, uh, that, you know, when you think about Jesus when he called his disciples. And I, I love when he called Simon Peter, and then he called James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And we, we in our modern context don't often understand kind of all that was going on. Because these guys were fishermen. And, and you need to understand that as fishermen, their daddy was a fisherman, their grandpappy was a fisherman, their great-grandpappy was a fisherman, Right? And that generation after generation, they'd just been fishermen. And the point is that these men, were this was their identity. And it's hard for us in our modern-day society to conceive of family and future and, and identity and career. All of these things were mixed up. They were so tightly connected together. This is who they were. They were fishermen. But when Jesus called them, and it's so interesting because it's not really an invitation if you go read the original language. It's a, more of a command. Come follow me. And it says that they immediately dropped their nets. Now for them, this wasn't just a career change. This wasn't just a good idea. God wasn't inviting them on a short-term missions trip. God was inviting them into a completely new way of living. 
He was inviting them into a new identity, a new sense of belonging, and a new sense of purpose. And so when we think about the Christian life, when we think about all that the Christian life is about, we recognize that you and I are being invited not onto a short-term mission trip, not onto some kind of set of virtues or beliefs or behaviors. We're being invited into something that's fundamentally transformative. In fact, the Bible actually says it this way, you and I become new creations. You have a new identity. You have a new sense of belonging. God doesn't just invite you into a covenant relationship with him. He says he places you in the family of God. You have a new family. You also have a new purpose. And this is what God is inviting us into. In fact, it says it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So there's this self, there's this sacrifice, there's this death to self, there's this identification with the idea that it's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And he goes on and he says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so if I could summarize it this way, I believe that the goal of the Christian life is simply this, to become more like Jesus. That you and I, and sometimes I think in our American version of Christianity, we overcomplicate it. We make it all of these different things. And, and sometimes, you know, theologians can be the worst at this. You know, they read through the Bible and they identify, you know, 50 things that we ought to be doing, you know. And the early church did all of these things. And I think when you shake it all down, I think when you summarize it and reduce it to its lowest common denominator, we find the highest value, the highest call, the highest priority for those of us that are following Jesus is to become more like him. Man, that just, I'm a simple guy. That just makes it a whole lot easier for me. <laughs> that we want to become more like Jesus. And it's so interesting because when you read through the New Testament, you see it over and over and over again. This is what Paul gave his life for. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul labored amongst Christian churches all over the then known world. because, And he said over and over and over again, I'm doing this because I want you to become more like Jesus. Look at these verses. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. In other words, as we look at the glory of the Lord, as we look at Jesus, right, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We'll deal with that. I'll have actually Pastor Aaron deal with that verse, that portion of the verse. Because he's, he's a brilliant. Pastor Aaron will deal with that in a few weeks. Anyway, from whom those who he foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine us for? To be conformed to what? The image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. Some of you know what that really feels like, right? And they will continue, what? Until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Colossians 3.10. Put on the new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Ephesians 4.24. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The Bible makes it pretty clear 
that the goal of this life that we call, quote unquote, the Christian life or faith in Jesus is that you and I would become more like Jesus. That where the world tries to deform us, right, through sin and rebellion and all of those things, those things that even go on inside of us and the wrestling that takes place, what God is doing by, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives is to reform us, to redeem us, to restore us to the image of Christ. And this is the journey that we go on. Now, the reality is that none of us in this room can do that in our own strength. And this is the whole message of Galatians, right? Because Galatians says, basically, you can be saved but you can try to work out your Christian faith in your own strength, or you can work it out in the Spirit. And it says to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. And so we recognize that we can't become like Jesus in our own strength. So how then do we become like Jesus? Well, I want to look at two words this morning. And then we're going to get to kind of what this all means for us as a church family. But the two words that I want to look at this morning are two kind of theological words. One word is justification, and the second word is sanctification. And oftentimes we get those things kind of mixed up, and what does that mean, or they synonyms for each other. But, but in the story of God, and in the plan of God, and in this idea that God by his spirit is working in us and through us, and, and fashioning us, and molding us, and shaping us individually and as a family to become more like Jesus that we got to understand, how does that happen? How do we become more like Jesus? And the first thing is this. We become more like Jesus because of justification. Now, let me, let me explain. What does justification mean? And you've maybe read that word in your Bible, or maybe you've been reading a commentary, and you see that word. Justification. What does justification mean? Well, justification is the process by which God makes us right in his sight, forgiving our sins, and declaring us free from guilt. In other words, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you and I can be forgiven, completely forgiven for our sins, past, present, and future. God forgives us when we accept the work of Jesus on the cross. The Bible makes it really clear that Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross, the penalty and the punishment for our sin, for our rebellion, was placed upon God, or placed, sorry, placed upon Jesus. And so Jesus took all that penalty, Jesus took all that punishment, and when we accept, when we believe in, when we trust in Jesus, and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are completely forgiven of our sins. I don't know about you, that's good news. And when we were singing about that today, you know, I'm like, I'm like on the front, you know, and I know I'm a little bit energetic. I'm a little bit like the, ener you know, the Energizer Bunny. I prefer to be like Tigger than, more than Eeyore. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, that's really good news. I'm forgiven for my sin. God's forgiven me. God took my place on the cross. I should have suffered all of that. But that's only half the story of justification. See, the other half of the story is not only does God take the penalty and payment for my sin and place it on, on Jesus, what happens next is that Jesus' righteousness is imputed or placed upon me. And so the Bible teaches us that my righteousness, and some of you know this, my righteousness is like filthy rags. 
And some of you kind of like to, you know, work in yards, and some of you have like some animals that you, you know, some of you ride horses and do some of those kinds of things. And you know what I talk about when I talk about filthy rags. You know, your wife, you know, you come in from outside and your wife goes, take it off right there at the door. You can't bring that dirt in here, right? Like, so, so that's what my righteousness is like. But what happens at the cross isn't just that Jesus takes my sin. It's that God imputes the righteousness of Christ into my heart and my life. You are fully justified because of the work of Jesus. In fact, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 5, and I'll, I'll skip down to verse 8. It says, but God, and how many of you are grateful for but God moments in your life? Come on. I know that sounds funny, but, but God. Like, I'm going this direction, and there's a but God moment where God steps into that moment. He steps into that place, and he saves me, and he rescues me, and he leads me down the path that he has planned for me. And what was meant for evil turns out to be good. Because of God's showing up in the moment. So, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. Down to verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And what Paul is communicating to the church in Ephesus is that this has got nothing. You didn't earn this. It's a gift. There's nothing that you or I can do to be justified, to be made right with God. And what that ought to do is produce the kind of worship and the kind of praise and the kind of adoration for our God. Because when you understand how much we should have been crucified on the cross, how much of it should have been us in Jesus' place, but Jesus stepped into that space, not only taking the payment and penalty, but says, now I'm going to impute my righteousness upon you. That means that when God looks at you, if you've accepted the work of Jesus on the cross and the fact that he was resurrected from the dead, when God looks at you, God sees you as righteous. He looks at you through Jesus. And this is why over and over and over in the New Testament, it says that you are in Christ. You've been justified just as if you'd never sinned. God enters into a relationship with you as if you'd never sinned because of the work of Jesus. And because you were justified, you're holy and blameless. We were singing some of these words and some of these songs that we were singing this morning, right? You've been justified, washed by Jesus. You're fully known, fully accepted, and fully loved. You've been given a new identity. And that's like weird for us to try and understand because every single one of us in this room is probably got an area of our life where we're like, man, I don't know if I could take that to God. And how freeing is it to know that God already sees it? right? Like there's nothing that we can hide from God, but God loves you. God accepts you. God knows you. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, he invites you into a space where you can deal with that kind of stuff going on in your life. And so how do we become more like Jesus? The first thing is we've got to understand that we are justified with Jesus, just as if we'd never sinned. We've been given a new identity, his righteousness, a new purpose, a new plan, new things that God wants us to be a part of, and we've got a new calling. Jesus has reclaimed humanity to its calling to be image-bearing children of God. That's who we are. 
because of the justification of Jesus. Now, um, so, so the question then is this. What is it that God wants from us? Like, what is God's will for us then? Now, have you, have you ever asked, I've been in ministry for like 25 years, so this is probably the most common question that I've been asked over the 25 years, which is, um, man, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. Anybody ever wondered what God's will for their life is? Anybody? Oh, just a few of you. Okay, great. Oh, there you go. Oh, good. You're alive. You're awake. That's wonderful. A few of us in the room, right? We've been kind of wondering, kind of, what is God's will? Man, I don't know. Should I date her? Should I date him? Right? You know, should I go on that trip? Should I not go on that trip? I don't know where to go to school. Should I take the job? Not take the job? Like, God, I just want to know your will. Will you tell me your will? God, why don't you just make it easy? Tell me what your will is for me. Anybody ever wondered that? Well, I've got good news for you. There's actually a verse that tells us. And this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3, uh, or verse 3. The first part, it says this. This is the will of God. What? What is it? What's the will of God? Your sanctification. Oh, man. I was hoping they were going to tell me I should date her or not date her, right? Really? Your sanctification. So what is sanctification? Well, sanctification is simply this. It's growth and identity formation, Right? It's this idea that because we've been justified with Jesus, because we've been forgiven our sins, because he has imputed his righteousness to us, he's given us a new identity, a new purpose, a new calling. We enter into this story that's unfolding and we grow to become more like Jesus. This is sanctification. And, and sanctification is really... Um, the reforming of your and my identity. In fact, it says this in Philippians chapter 2, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so you begin to wonder, okay, well, Jesus, I understand I'm saved. You know, I'm trying to raise my family and my kids and go to work and I got all of these things. And here's the beauty of it. All of that stuff that you're involved in, God is using, God is using the relationships and the spiritual family that you're a part of, all of these things God is using to reform or to form our identity into the image of Christ. God is working in you. You don't do this in your own strength. You do it as a result of being justified with God. He empowers you now to become more like Jesus. And we've already said that there's two stories that are unfolding, right? There's the story of the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of self and the story of the kingdom of God. And in one of those stories, your identity is being deformed. See, in the story of God, you were created, you are created in the image of God. And so there's this unfolding story that plays out inside of every human being where our hearts are corrupt and broken, and it's deforming us out of the image of God. Now, the world in which we live, because it's part of that same narrative, is doing the same thing. But in the kingdom of God, God is reforming us, creating us into the image of his son. And so identity formation really is, is probably the most critical issue in our day. Who are you? Why are you here? Those are fundamental questions that every single one of us, every single human being wrestles with. Sometimes it's in the background, sometimes it's in the foreground, depending on the season. But every single one of us is being formed in one way or another. 
In fact, Eric Erickson, he said it this way, in the social jungle of human existence, there is no feeling of being alive without a sense of identity, a sense of who you are, a sense of why you're here, a sense of your value and worth. Every single human being wrestles with that. And in every culture, without our permission and without naming it as such, it imposes an identity formation process on us. That you and I are being constantly shaped and constantly formed just by virtue of fogging up a mirror every morning. I get up, I wake up, and I live in a world that has an unfolding story. I deal with things inside of me that are forming me and shaping me. And so we need to understand that identity formation really is one of the critical issues of our day. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, identity is our sense of self and our sense of, self, uh, sense of worth. It's our core trust and our core, our source of value and recognition. It's whatever we look at that is the ultimate source of security and worth. And so we recognize that we're all being shaped and formed. We already identified the fact that God wants to shape us and form us into the image of his son, that we would reflect his glory, as Peter says, that we would declare the excellencies of God. But we realize that we live in a world that is deforming us. I have, a, uh, you know, I have a son, he's almost 23, he's in New York City, he's at fashion school in New York City. How many of you know that's a pretty crazy environment to be in? And he texted me this week, and I love, I love, love, love that he thinks this way. But he texted me this, way, this week, and he says, Dad, he says, we live in Babylon. And in Babylon, you see, it's not an idea of, you know, degrees of right and, right and wrong. It's, it's that right is a good is evil and evil is good. That's just how it is. And he says, Dad, we live in Babylon. And in one sense, we're not home yet. But in another sense, what a privilege to bring Jesus into the middle of the mess. Can I tell you, we as a church, we as a culture, need the next generation of kids that are meeting on the other side of the building. And right now, they might be in preschool, they might be in elementary school, but we need a generation that would understand that they're being formed into the identity of Jesus Christ and that they're here to be salt and light and the privilege that it is to bring Jesus into the middle of the mess. Come on. And it's so hard because we live in a world that is all about performance and achievement. You know, I've got one kid in New York City. I've got, you know, kind of the other kids in the political capital of America, you know, in Washington, D.C. And it's so interesting, the stresses and the pressures. But the more and more I talk to parents of young families in our own church who have kids in school, elementary school, they're feeling the same pressures, the same formative type things that are trying to go on. And I'm not kind of bad-mouthing culture and any of that kind of stuff because the reality is that there's a wrestling that goes on even in our own hearts. But we've got to figure this thing out. We've got to be those that are willing, that are being formed and shaped, not by the culture in which we live, but we're being formed and shaped by the word of God and the spirit of God that's working in us and through us. Why? Because we're part of a bigger story. 
And sometimes we can get lost in cultural moments. Sometimes we can go, oh man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and all of these bad things are going on. But how many of you understand we are part of a bigger story and in that bigger story, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. In that bigger story, Jesus Christ is the Lord over everything. In that uh, bigger story, Jesus Christ is working to renew all things. We know the end of the story. I've read the end of the book and at the end of the book, Jesus comes and restores all things to his purpose to his plan. He creates a new heaven. He creates a new earth. Come on, we don't need to be afraid. But we do need to be intentional. And we need to be a people that understand that the goal of this life that you and I have been called to live in following Jesus is not a set of beliefs or a set of behaviors or good virtues. It's becoming more like Jesus. And I want every single person in our church, I want the youngest in our church from day one not to go to our children's ministry just to have a few good Bible stories. I want them to be formed and shaped in the middle of a culture that would try to devalue them, that would try to say you're something that you're not, that they're hearing each and every week. They're around adults that are pouring into them the Word of God, the Kingdom of God, the Spirit of God, forming them into the image of Jesus Christ so that they have the ability to stand and stand strong as Daniel stood in Babylon. An identity is developed within a framework of, defines what is good, what is beautiful, what is valuable and how do we measure up? And so as a result, there's two critical questions that when you think about identity formation that every single human being has to answer. And the first thing is this, where does good come from? How does someone know the good that they're supposed to live? And when you live in a world when things are upside down and inside out, what happens is that we can mistake good for evil and evil for good. Where does good come from? Who's the source of good? Who defines what is good and what is not? The second question when it comes to identity formation is this, is that who gets to validate you? Who gets to say that you are valuable and you are good? Now we live in a culture, and please, I'm not, I love the world. The Bible tells us to love the world, the people in the world that we are neighbors with and friends with. So don't mishear me here, okay? But I want us to understand that the story of the kingdom of this world or the story of the kingdom of self will define good a certain way. And, and the world in which we live, and we talked about this a little bit in the fall, is this idea of individualism, that, that you are the one that gets to define what's good and what's not good. And that, that as you live out, you do, you know, you've heard, you know, you know one of my pet peeves, my, you know, my little, my little kind of soapbox moment, you know, I hate this phrase, you know, you do you. And I want to go, how's that working for you? Some days it's good, some days it's bad. Well, what if it could be good all the time? Because I'm not about me doing me. I'm about me doing God. I'm about me following God. I'm about me being recreated into the image of Christ. And we live in a world that, that, that our kids and, our, and the media, and, and once again, none of these things are in and of themselves bad, but there's a message that's being carried in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of self, in this alternate story that's trying to get us to believe that, well, we're the ones that define what is good and what isn't. And then I have to measure up to that. Now, that's really hard for me because I go to the gym sometimes. And you know what it's like going to the gym, you know? You're like, you're like man, 
I'm doing these arm curls and they're like five pounds, but the guy next to me is doing like 50 pounds, you know? So I'm, I'm feeling pretty weak right now, you know? Or, or moms, what about, you know, you're, on, you're flicking through social media and, you know, you have that mom that like she's, she works a career, right? Um, she has an organic garden in her backyard. She makes dinner for her kids five days a week, you know? And you're like looking at this going, man, I just can't measure up. Who defines what is good? Is it you? Is it culture? Is it somebody else? How many of you know we have the answers to these questions? It says in John chapter 14, verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, the the story of the kingdom of this world typically goes, let me tell you about truth. And and my son, you know, I I love some of the conversations. We do a little phone call with our kids on the East Coast every Sunday night. It's totally fun. Uh, We were having a fun conversation about the difference between authenticity and honor last week, you know. And I'm like, I'm not smart enough to have this conversation with you guys, you know. But, but they, you know, here they are in this culture, and, and they're recognizing that, you know, this idea of, you know, truth comes from inside of you. But the problem is that when you go down that path, that oftentimes there's multiple truths. And then those truths start to compete with each other, right? And so the argument begins to break down. But we have the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. You're not alone. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You're not going to have to figure this out by yourself. You have the word of God. You have the personal presence of God with you. And so we need to recognize that God is redeeming us. God is restoring us. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, we are made in God's image and called to be people in whom the image is being renewed. This is the goal. And so when it comes to answering these questions, well, where does good come from? Well, I know the answer to the question. God is the source of all good. God is the one who, when he created, he stepped back and he says, it is good. And it is good because God said it is good because God is good. And so we recognize that because God is good, God defines what is good. God defines what is bad. God is the one that we look to for our source. But not only that, God is the one that we look to for our validation. The judgment, judgment comes from God, right? But because you are justified, yeah, while I was dead in my trespasses, the Holy Spirit illuminated my heart and I was awakened to the reality of my own sin, my own rebellion. But immediately with that comes the grace of God that says because of the work of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And we sang about it this morning when we said, I am a child of God. We sang about it this morning when we said, I am chosen. These things are what define us. These things are what validate us. These things are the things that cause us to be able to recognize that what we're all about is being formed into the image of Jesus. It's by his grace. But because we now partner with him, with this goal, this end objective of I'm going to become more like Jesus Christ, this is the journey that we are on. Now, what does this mean for us as a church? Well, that leads us to kind of some language that I'm just trying to lay out for us to say, this is a pursuit for us. We want to pursue the formation of of people. We pursue deep change through transformational discipleship drawn from the example of Jesus so that we become whole, healed, and flourish in a secure, God-given identity. I love, Laura was, she just, I love Laura. She's doing such an amazing job with our students. She had a 
leadership event yesterday training uh, the folks that are kind of working with you and my kids. And she started the day by saying, what are we all about? We're all about helping kids see that they are formed in the image of Jesus. This is their truest identity. In a world that will tell them all these other kinds of identities, we want to help people understand who they are in Jesus Christ. We want to create pathways for our kids, for our students, for families, for adults, for parents. How many of you know, man, we all need some help in this area, don't we? I don't want to go it alone. I don't want to try and figure it out. I'm just not smart enough. But I know that together we can embark on a journey of becoming more like Jesus, both individually, but also as a church family. Now, I'm going to end. I'll do this really, really quick. I'm literally going to throw it on the screen, throw the full screen image up on the screen. And why don't you come to the stage? Look, I'm finishing. I'm wrapping up, guys. I'm doing this really quick. Are you guys with me? Practically, come on. How do we do this? Okay, some of you are taking pictures. I believe this is, how, this is the way the Bible teaches us. How many of you know we want to be a people that are rooted in God's word. How many of you believe the Bible is God's authoritative word to us? It's been inspired. Every word has been inspired by God, right? And it says that all scripture is given to correct us and to teach us, to prepare us and to equip us. So how do we grow in this idea of becoming more and more like Jesus? Number one, we're rooted in the word of God. Number two, though, is that we, we want to be put this stuff into practice. We live in a culture which has an epidemic of belief without practice. And, and you, you bump into it all the time. I believe, yeah, I believe that, but I don't do it. I don't practice it. And the Bible teaches us, don't only be hearers of the word, but be doers. We want to put this stuff into practice. But the other thing that we recognize is that God then sets us in a community together. We don't do this on our own. We need one another. And I encourage you, go read Ephesians 4 to understand. We're going to unpack that and talk about that a little bit more next week. And then lastly, we have the personal presence of God, the Spirit of God in us. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus fills you with his Spirit and says, you're not going to do this on your own strength. This is who we want to be. We want to be a people that are pursuing God's presence. But we also want to be a people that are being formed into his image. We don't do that in our own strength, but we do it in response. So here's what I want us to do. Could we just stand together? And I know I was trying so hard today, guys. I think I'm, but <clears throat> thank you for loving me. Do you know how hard it is to get something that God's put in you, out of you in 35 minutes? Come on. How many of you say, man, we want to be that kind of people? Man, we want to be formed into the image of Jesus. Come on, I just want you to close your eyes this morning. And, and uh, man, I just even feel in this room that maybe, maybe as I'm just talking about justification this morning and just like, God, God, would, God did all that for me? God forgives me of my sin. And some of you have been, man, enough karma. You know, if I do enough good things, God, you'll accept me. You know, and God says, nah, you could never do enough good things. Because tomorrow you'll do another bad thing. You'll sin. But Jesus has come to forgive you and to invite you into new life. And for some of us in the room, that's the first step we've got to take today. 
We just got to say, God, I'm, I'm going to step into that moment right now. I'm not going to be a slave to sin anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm going to accept what Jesus has done for me on the cross, and he's going to justify right now. And so if that's you this morning, I simply want you to slip your hand up to heaven and say, I want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. I want to become a child of God. I'm not walking in slavery to sin anymore. I'm going to be forgiven, justified, and the imputed righteousness of God into my heart and my life right now. You see hands all over. So Father, this morning, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to be forgiven. The Lord Jesus, we can accept this new life that we have in Jesus. And so Lord, today we say thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for imputing your righteousness to us that you now see us not as children of wrath or enemies of God, but as children of our heavenly Father, forgiven and free in the name of Jesus. How many of you then that would say, man, I, I'm, I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I know I've been accepted by Jesus, but man, I'm this moment forward, I am in on this end destination of becoming more like Jesus. If that's you this morning, and I'm raising my hands, I'm committing to that journey. This is a journey that we're committing to as a church family. And so Jesus, this morning, Lord, we lift our hands in response to you, to your word, Lord Jesus, to this desire that you've placed within us Lord Jesus, to be more like you. Lord, we love the world in which you've placed us, Lord Jesus. We love, Lord Jesus, that you've placed us here to be salt and light, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we realize we're living an alternate story. We're living the true story. We're living the story that you've called us into, a story of freedom, of delight, a story where we're being formed and reformed into the image of God, that we might glorify you, that we might edify you, that we might declare the excellencies of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us that kind of a church, that, Lord Jesus, here's a family, here's a people that are giving themselves to Jesus, giving themselves to be more and more like him, that, Lord Jesus, you would then use us as salt and light, Lord, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at our schools. Lord Jesus, we want to be difference makers. We want to be like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego with great tact and great care and great tenderness. Lord Jesus, living out your story in Babylon. And so Jesus, this morning, we commit ourselves with your, by your grace to these things in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus.